Jesus came to save a diverse people. And through his blood and the indwelling of the Spirit, we are now invited to live as a harmonious, unified family. This series will help you step into the life, teaching, and empowering presence of Jesus so you can follow him in your home, with your finances, and in your vocation. Now let's hear the word of the Lord. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Then the mothers of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father." And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, I want to consider how is it that we're living in this upside-down kingdom. And I think, um, I'll I'll thank Pastor Jonah. Hey, by the way, this is Pastor Jonah's birthday and Pastor Appreciation Sunday. So if you see him, don't give him any high fives because of COVID. So just elbows and stuff. Double elbows. There you go. Uh, But... Uh, I'm, I'm stealing this one from him, and I think he stole this one from his dad. But it's, uh, if you want to enjoy the kingdom of God, if you want to get up, you got to get down. Right? It's, it's this opposite thing. It's if you want to get up, if you want to enjoy it, you got to get down. It's this reverse. It's a flip. It's this upside-down kingdom. And so the three things that I want us to see this morning is, is if you want to live, if you really want to live, then you're going to have to die. If you want to be great, then you're going to have to be least. And then lastly, I want, I want us to see, if you want more out of life, then you need to want less. So let's look at this. So here we go. We're going to go back to Matthew chapter 20. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew 24. Where are we at? Hold on. Sorry about that. Gotcha. Here we go. 20, 17. Can't read my verses. 
And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief of priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Okay, I want you to think of this passage as kind of Matthew's main point, right? He is coming to the end of this section and this is his thesis, right? His main point, and then he's gonna have a next point where he's gonna kind of give an explanation and then he's gonna give an illustration. So here we go. Matthew's main point here, if you want to really live, you are going to have to die. And, And you see that here because Jesus is telling his disciples, I am literally going to die and then come back to life. And his disciples just don't get it. And it makes sense though, right? Because he's been speaking in parables and he's been saying all sorts of weird things. Like previously after he feeds the five, uh, the 5,000, they're on a boat. And he says to his disciples, he's like, guys, beware of the feast or the yeast of the Pharisees, right? And they look at each other and they're like, yeast, did you forget the bread? I forgot. The, I just thought you had the bread. And then they bec- it becomes about the bread because they had just forgotten the bread at the feeding of the 5,000, and they think Jesus is talking about bread again. And Jesus comes, he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about bread. I'm talking about their teaching. And they're like, oh, we get it. And so then you also have this where they say, he says, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to come back to life. And you learn in John 2 that they didn't even understand what he really meant when he was saying this until actually he came back to life. And they're like, oh, you, when you said you were going to die, you meant like die, and then you may come back to life. They're like, oh, we get it now, right? And so that's what he's, he's bringing up. He's, so Matthew is showing, he's saying, hey, look, the story is not gonna be like you thought it was gonna be. Like Jesus is really going to die. And then he's gonna come back to life. And the thing is, is Matthew kind of also is a little bit, he's winking at the reader. He's kind of like, this involves you too, right? And it's that what passage that we read earlier, we were baptized into Jesus's death in order that we may be raised to walk with him. His story of death to life involves us if we are Christians. So the, the question is though, then we have this, this, it's this idea of like, all right, we're gonna die to self. Or if you wanna lose your life, or if you wanna find your life, you're gonna have to lose it. And the question is like, what does that even really mean? Because it's so abstract. And so I wanna kind of dial in on what does it really mean to have this kind of crucified life that then leads to resurrection. And this is what I'm talking about. In America, we have this sort of idea, if you want life, if you want to live it, live it up as best you can, the thing that you do is just get what you want. Find out what you want and go get it, or follow your heart. The only problem with this is how many of us actually know what we want. I mean, you go to the donut, donut shop and you can't figure out which donut you want, much less like how much, like what do you want to do with your life? How do you want to raise your kids? What do you want out of life? If it's hard enough to pick out a donut, trying to figure out what you want out of life is going to be pretty difficult. At the same time, we also have all sorts of weird and crazy desires that if you followed your heart all the time, you would probably end up in jail, right? So follow, just follow your heart is not the greatest advice, right? But then we take what, what Jesus is saying here and we kind of do this over-Christianizing thing where it's like all of your desires are bad. Every single one of them, just kill all your desires, have no desires. And that's not what Jesus is saying either, right? He's saying, if you want to live, he's not saying, don't be dead, have no desires. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, don't want anything. But what he is saying is, if you want to live, you are going to feel like you're dying, right? Because we have to put to death all those old desires that are not what Jesus would have for us, right? 
We're gonna have to put to death all those old wants because the thing is what Jesus has for us is when we're raised to walk with him, when we have the new life of the Holy Spirit living in us, he gives us new desires. He gives us a new way of living that's better than what we could have done before. So we have to trust, right? Okay, it's gonna feel like dying. I'm gonna have to crucify my old desires, the ones that are not good, that are ungodly, to trust that God is gonna give me the new pure ones, right? So then the question is though, okay, so what is that, what does that look like? What does it look like? What are some of those old desires that I'm gonna have to put to death? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what Matthew seems to have uh, expected of us. And so he gives us next an example. He's like, here's what it's gonna look like for you to go through a crucifixion to experience resurrection, right? And so here's where he gets to, right? So it's, we're gonna read that next little section about uh, James and John. It says, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, came to him with their, her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit at one of your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared for by my father. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called to them and he said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever become great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, so the sons of Zebedee are James and John, these two brothers, and they have this desire. They want to be second in command. And when two guys have something they really want, they do what any two normal guys would do. They go get their mom. And they say, mom, we've got something we want. And she says, don't worry, I got you. And they're like, all right, mama, come over here. You're going to ask Jesus for us. And so they go get mama. Mama comes to Jesus and she says, hey, my boys want to be second in command. And Jesus says, you guys have no idea what you're asking for. Can you drink from my cup? And they're like, hey, yes, we can. And I think that's hilarious because Jesus, it seems like Jesus was expecting them to be like, well, we're not so sure about that. I don't know. But he's like, actually, you are. You are going to drink from my cup, right? But then he says, but for me to give you the, the rights to be second in command, to sit at my right and my left, that's not for me to grant. That's the God, the Father, and he's already got somebody lined up for that. So I couldn't even do that if I wanted to, right? But then he, he kind of goes on. He's like, but guys, you, you've got this backwards. You, you think that the good life is being in authority. You think that's what it is. But what I'm telling you is the good life is to use your power to serve other people. And I, I think this is, this is Jesus practically inviting the disciples to die to themselves, to put their desire, to lord their authority over people and say, no, 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 take your authority that you have and use it to serve other people. Because again, Jesus is saying, I've lived the best life that there is to live. If you wanted an outline of a human life that is as good as it gets, follow me. And what did Jesus do? He used his power to serve others. And so he's saying, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. So he's inviting the disciples into laying down their lives, right? Experiencing that crucifixion of saying, don't use your authority for yourself, use it to serve others. Now, the thing is for us though, I th when, I, when I read this passage as a kid, it always seemed like, well, I don't have any power. Like, I don't have any, I don't exercise authority over anybody. 
Uh, and so I think a lot of us still feel that way. It's like you don't have power to lay down. Uh, and so I want to prove to you this morning that you have some sort of power. If you have a way to engage with the world at all, you have power. And here's what I mean. My six-month-old daughter cannot do anything. She has no power. However, she can scream at the top of her lungs. And when she screams at the top of her lungs while I'm sitting next to her, what am I going to do? I'm going to pick her up. I'm going to feed her. I'm going to change her diaper. I'm going to do something. She has some sort of power in my life, right? It's influence. She can't make me do it, but she has the power to influence me to pick her up and engage with her, right? So if my six-month-old daughter has the power to do that just by screaming, you have the power to engage the world, right? We always talk about this, words have power. The pen is mightier than the sword. How many of you have words? And so even if you can't speak, even if you speak sign language, you have words. That means you have power. So then the question is, are you using your power, are you using your words to serve others or to serve yourself? And I think there's lots of ways that you can use your words in other ways, but I really want to kind of land on this idea of we've got a really hot political climate right now. And how often people are using their words as a way of defending other people while they're also attacking. And, and it, it, like I've heard stuff like, well, you have to be harsh because harsh is the only language that they understand. You have, like I'm standing up because this is what we have to do because they can't defend themselves. I got to stand up for them. And it's like, hey, you do. You need to stand up. It's like, they're going to destroy America. They're going to destroy the unborn. They're going to destroy the oppressed. They're going to like, and I get it. Like, those are worthy causes to stand up for, to speak up for. But do you realize that Paul says that we're to correct all of our opponents with gentleness? Right? And that he also says, be gentle, right? He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. If you are using your words even in defense of someone, to attack someone else, might I suggest that you are not laying down your power to serve others. I am not saying that you shouldn't say those things. I am saying you should watch your tone. You should be gentle. Because if you are not being gentle, it's just so much easier to come at people. And it takes so much more power. It feels like dying when somebody says something so awful and you could light them up because you know more than they do and you could prove every point that you have and instead you say, I sh tell me more. It feels like dying. It feels like crucifying yourself. And that is the call. And so... Not only with your words, not only like, but you have so much power in your life. Like if you're a parent, you have power. If you're a kid, you have power in your parents' life. If you're a boss, you have power. If you're, if you're a student, you have power. If you have money, you have power. If you have time, you have power. If you're young, you have power. If you're old, you have power. 
So the question is, is are you using your power, your way to influence the world to serve yourself, or are you using it to serve others? And I would suggest that if you are using it to serve yourself, it's going to make you more anxious and miserable and fearful. But if you use it to serve others, it's what Jesus says. It brings life. It brings resurrected life. But I think we also run into another problem. Is, is we, we kind of say, well, I'm doing that. Right? I'm serving. I'm laying down my rights to serve others. Like, you realize how many like, meal trains I've signed up for? You realize how many times I've served in kids? Do you realize how many times I've like, helped my neighbor out? Do you realize how many times I've taken somebody to the airport? Do you realize how many times I've helped somebody move? Like, I've laid, I'm laying it down, man, and I'm burnt out. Like, I'm just tired. Like, where's this life? You, you said it's life. Where's the life? And again, I think this is why Matthew is brilliant is because he kind of, he comes in and he gives us one more illustration of what it looks like to use your power to serve others. And at the very end, he kind of flips everything. And so I want us to look at that. Here's what he says at the end of chapter 20. He says, And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called out to them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. And immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Okay, so again, Matthew is setting this up, right? If you want life, you have to go through this death. Now, what's one particular way of experiencing that death? That is using your power not for yourself, but for others. Right? And then he shows Jesus doing exactly that. Right? Jesus has all this power. He has all this influence. And he's walking down the road to, uh, to Jericho. And these two smelly, poor, blind men sitting by the road just start like wailing. Hey, 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 hey. Right? And this would like, if we were walking around and like somebody w- with a pastor or some famous person and some like random homeless guys were like, hey, 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 we'd be like, stop, this, this is an important guy, like leave him alone. And we would be totally within our rights to say, like, yeah, hey man, you don't have to pay attention to them. Those are, the, those are the crazy guys, like don't worry about it. But Jesus, being a man in power, just saying, I came to serve, stops. And he asks them a question. And you can ask Stephen Smith, this is my favorite question in the Bible. He asks, what do you want? And it's like, well, duh, Jesus, they're blind. What do you think they want? And I think he's getting at something here where he's like, maybe, maybe there's something more they could want. And so they say, we want to see. And Jesus says, okay. And he has pity on them and he touches their eyes and they recover their sight. And so I think first off we can see, okay, Jesus is, is showing us an example of even when it's hard and annoying, Jesus lays down his right to pass by people who we would otherwise not want to deal with. And he serves them. He takes the time to deal with them. And again, if we want to follow Jesus, we want to be like Jesus, then okay, that's what we want to do. But I think there's also this cool thing that Matthew's doing. He's like saying, hey, you should be like Jesus. But then he also kind of flips it and is like, you should also pay attention to these blind men. Because here's the thing is, what do they want? They want a good thing, right? But 
Not all, not all their desires are bad. They want to see. That's a good desire. They want the world to be made right. Jesus gives them their desire. But what do they do immediately upon receiving the thing they wanted more than anything in the world? It says immediately they followed Jesus. Their sight led them to something better. The good gift that they got from God got them the best thing in the universe, which is life with God. The kingdom of God is only good because God is there. And so when these guys receive their sight, they're like, oh man, this is awesome, but I want to be with you. And this is, I think, what, we, what happens with our service and where it gets kind of flipped on its head a little bit is we expect our service to be self-satisfying. Um, and sometimes it is, but I think we, we take service and make it the end. Is we expect to feel good uh, when, when you start a community group and it grows and it grows and it grows or you expect to feel good when you serve at the soup kitchen and everybody's smiling and telling you how... All, how awesome you are, or you expect to feel good when you serve in Sojourn Kids and the kids are all well-behaved and their parents come to pick them up and tell you, wow, what a great job. Our kids never behave like this. You're so awesome. We love you. Right? You expect, it's like, oh, yes, serving feels good, right? I love serving when it works like that. But I think this is, again, this is where Matthew is flipping our ideas is he's saying, did you realize, like, even the good stuff can lead you to Jesus, but so can the bad stuff. Did you realize that you can draw closer to Jesus when your community group is an entire and complete failure and it flops and no one comes and you sit there by yourself on a Tuesday night wondering like what you did wrong? Did you realize you can draw closer to Jesus when you serve and sojourn kids and all the kids are screaming and yelling and all of a sudden they get hand, foot, and mouth after like a week later and you feel, feel, realize that you've like got everyone in the church a disease? It can happen. You can draw closer to Jesus through that. Did you realize that even when you serve at the soup kitchen and everybody like cusses you out and calls you all sorts of bad names, even though you're trying your best, that you can draw closer to Jesus through that. And again, I think that is, that is the, the invitation that Matthew is trying to kind of get us to see is that it's the thing that we want most, the reason that we want to get into this kingdom is that we want to be with Jesus. And you can be with Jesus in the good times and the bad times, because Jesus will sometimes give you the desires of your heart. He will give you sight, the thing that you thought you could never get. And sometimes you don't get those things. Sometimes you're like Jesus. Sometimes the one thing you want is to not die. Think about it. Jesus did not want to die. He did not want to go to the cross, but for the joy set before him, he did. But when he's in Gethsemane and he's praying, he's like, if there's any other way. And God said, this is the way it has to be. And he says, if this gets me you, if this gets me, if this gets me life with God, then this is what we're doing. And I think that that's just, that's our invitation today is to remember like what we're after is life with Jesus. And then the hard part about that too is like, and we can't, we can't even want it. We're so broken, we can't even want right. And it's, it's like it would take an act of God himself to come in and change our hearts. He would have to live inside of us to make that happen. Well, hey, guess what? That's what he did, right? That's what we remember at communion 
is that God himself took our sins, was resurrected, and then sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of us to make us live resurrected lives. And we remember that every week. We remember that every week when we take communion. We remember that on the night that he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup of wine. And he said, this cup is the new covenant sealed with my blood. Every time you drink this cup and you eat this bread, you do so in remembrance of me. And so we have the joy of remembering those things this morning. You guys, I don't have it up here, I forgot one, but you've got your small, single-serving communion. And we remember that because Jesus laid his life down, we have new life. Maybe not the life that we wanted, but the life that is with God. That's the, your strongest desire. It's the most satisfying desires to be with him. And so I invite you uh, to take your uh, communion wafer. And as you eat it this morning, to remember Jesus, his body was broken for you to give you new resurrected life. And then as you take the cup, to remember that he shed his blood so that we could have a new covenant. Not one that is built on how well you do, but it's built on how well he did. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.